Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Hi, it's Deborah Hamilton, and welcome to Why Do Pets Matter? Today, I am so grateful to have a kindred spirit here. Dr. Deborah Thompson is the chair of the World Vet Association One Health Education subgroup. We got together because she wrote this article that talked so on point about how we can have One Health for pets and their parents going forward. But a lot of that has to do with communication, how veterinarians communicate with their clients, how their clients communicate with veterinarians. So we are so synergistic. Um, she has a fabulous book that I wrote underlined and is a mess in my um, bookcase, but I love it because it is like nipped in the bud where we're talking about how to have a conversation that's going to benefit everyone. So without further ado, Dr. Deborah Thompson, thank you so much for being here. Um, I, I hope you're looking forward to this conversation as much as I am. Oh, truly, Deborah, I've been really looking forward to today. Well, of course, we ask our first question and then we go from there. It's like, you know, we the gates are open. Uh, the first question is, why do pets matter to you, Dr. Thompson? That is such an epic question. <laughs> Pets have changed my life. When I was four years old, my best friend was four years old. When I was 15, my best friend was 15 and she had four legs and she was covered in fur. Yep. And, and she, all my secrets to herself. She did not tell a single person. And she was always there for you too, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. It's amazing the communication that you can have with your pets that make them so important to you. And carrying that into your profession, that must have been another epic leap from knowing the value of a pet in your life as a four-year-old and a 15-year-old, and then understanding the value of pets in your life and in clients' lives and in veterinarians' lives going forward. It was quite a transformation, actually, because I didn't grow up thinking I would be a veterinarian. I decided I wanted to be a veterinarian when I turned around 21. Because, wow. Yeah. Like you, kindred spirits. Yep. Like you, I'm a very curious person. I like asking questions. I like exploring different avenues. And so I have two totally different bachelor's degrees that can reflect that. But when I was considering a career, I was thinking teacher. I was thinking uh, architect, uh, sociologist, um, um, musician, veterinarian, physician. 
it just goes on and on and on because I find every everything that I just mentioned fascinating. How people tick, you know, sociology, that's fascinating. Well, it's interesting you said that because when you said teacher, architect, sociologist, they all build things. They take information and they build things. And I think that's what you've done because you're, you're trying to educate and help people understand the One Health um, program. And so this is something that I think you've created. You're the architect of, you're teaching people about, and you're also absorbing information from them to make it better. Right. Thanks for that. Yeah. And for the benefit of the audience, um, One Health or Planetary Health, um, they revolve around the same concept. So that concept is the connection between our health and the health of animals, plants, the environment. So sick environment can lead to sick people and animals. You know, we are all related. And then the One Health approach, just for the benefit of the audience, the One Health approach is teamwork. Teamwork between people of different backgrounds, strengths, disciplines, we come together to prevent and solve health problems. So one of the reasons why I wanted to go into veterinary medicine versus everything else <laughs> that I was interested in um, is because ultimately I wanted to help my patients, the animals, but at the same time, I wanted to help the people relying on those patients, on those animals for companionship, for milk, for food, for whatever it is because we don't live in a bubble. Everything's related. No, we don't. And I love that fact that you wanted to um, help everyone in the team. And the team consists of not only the veterinarian and their team, but the pet owner and their team. And I'd love for you to give us some input on how you see the client, because that's sometimes lost in the team dynamic. We just stick with our team and that's everybody within the four walls. Well, unless a client brings an animal in, there really is nothing for you to do within those four walls. Right, right. And the client, so in veterinary speak, <laughs> in, in veterinary language, we say our patients are the animals, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the those are the living beings that we are treating. So those are our patients. And the clients are the human accompaniments to our patients. Um, those are the people who can actually speak back to us in a language that we hopefully can understand. We can talk about that later. Yeah. But, you know, just like for pediatricians, we have to work through another set of people in order to benefit our muted patients. Right. Yeah. And, and fostering that communication in a way that is diagnostic, because I know vet schools do a lot of work on asking curious questions regarding what is exhibited by the animal, not so much curious questions of what the client is feeling right now so that that communication can be more peaceful. Right, right. Um, whenever I speak with clients in the appointment room, I'm always, I'm always involving the family in the discussion and the environment in which my patient lives. So for instance, just yesterday, I had a cat that was adopted, uh, that was a stray cat that let's say adopted the family because it just walked home one day with the family member. <laughs> and now it's adopt who adopted whom? I'm not sure exactly one of those situations. So I, I noticed that there was a little bald spot near the ear. And I asked, 
um, because nobody has checked for ringworm at that point, you know, a fungus that can cause um, hair loss. And I asked, you know, if, if there's anybody in the house with a circular skin irritation, have you gone to see a dermatologist about it? Like be on the lookout for these things because not only is that important for myself so I can wear the proper, you know, personal protective equipment, <laughs> PPE, as we all now know what that stands for, um, but also look out for the health of the owner. Yeah. Now I'm not treating, I am not treating ringworm in a person, but it is all about awareness and education. Transparency, being able to really ask your client to be transparent and feel safe being transparent to you, because somebody might say, I don't want to tell her that I might have a little circular thing and, and maybe, but everybody has to feel safe. And that's a huge um, process that veterinarians don't necessarily get taught in vet school. Whenever I speak with veterinary students or medical students, I always encourage them, don't just see the patient in front of you, see the environment, see the history. You know, was this a a patient uh, that after it leaves your emergency department now is experiencing homelessness because the hurricane knocked out the house. Do you see what I mean? So see the environment as a component of that patient's health. Absolutely. And it, you know, what's really interesting is that um, often when I speak to veterinarians, they refer to their clients as crazy. And when I, when I talk to them, I go, okay, so the energy you're bringing in the room when you go see Ms. Thompson uh, is that she's crazy. And believe me, when you walk in that room, that's the energy that's going to be there. So how can we, we were talking about this before we came on air and I love it. How can we help ourselves be more aware of what we're bringing in the room so that we can be more aware of what the people in the room are doing and saying and having them educate us? Yeah, yeah, that's a big question. It's about self-awareness, right? And that is a hard pill to swallow. Woo, that's tough. It is because, you know, you might think that you're doing everything to foster communication. And yet if, I know you've probably worked with studies. I've worked with studies where veterinarians have been filmed as they speak to their client. And when they watch the film, they're like, what, how could that, I didn't mean it that way. How could, you know, and then they get feedback from the actors who are uh, the patients and they get feedback that totally blows their mind because that wasn't what they meant at all. Yeah, I remember my last year of veterinary school, I had a, <laughs> like five, 10 minute on video recording of me. And that was my one communication training in the entire education. And my career depends on communication. 10 minutes max. <laughs> so it was uh, really fascinating to think back to that. But after I finished my internship, after veterinary school, I do an internship and that's when I was constantly working in the emergency department and working with the clients who are stressed, so, so, so stressed. And at that point, you know, a part of your brain shuts off. You're in survival mode, right? 
You're in your you're in your amygdala. You are no longer in your prefrontal cortex. You are in your amygdala, and whatever comes out of your mouth, you should really wear a sign that says, "I'm not responsible." Morning. Yeah, I'm not responsible. I'm in my amygdala because you're afraid for your pet. You don't know what's going to happen. So many things are running through your mind about cost, about outcome, about losing this wonderful animal that you love so much. So you really can't be held to um, a certain standard of communication. And yet, I, I know from experience that, especially if veterinarians don't know you, if it's an emergency situation, like you said, you're an emergency. So this isn't your everyday vet. This is the Sunday at 2 a.m. vet uh, who is trying to help your pet. Uh, quickly and yet doesn't know you, doesn't know, uh, I'll never forget, I brought a dog in who was in bloat and I told them they were in bloat and they said, well, we don't know that yet. And I go, I'm an Irish setter breeder for 30 years, Irish setters bloat, what she's doing is bloating and please just take an x-ray and then we can move from there. And I was right, but I understood that they're the doctor, I'm the client and they don't know me. So they probably think I'm a crazy lunatic how, so you wrote this great book. So how does the art and science of communication work with people who are listening as well as people who are speaking? Because I'm speaking, you're listening. You're like, well, I'm the vet here and I know and I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and precious minutes tick past. Do you take their um, ideas and thoughts or do you, do you at least appreciate it? Or what would you do in those situations? Cause I always empathize with emergency vets because that relationship isn't there and they have to communicate in a way that saves the pet's life. So helping people who are afraid of their, the safety and health of their pets and are speaking in a way that may be actually quite on point, but you're the doctor. Um, so tell me a little bit about how that communication works. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned listening. I'm listening. You're speaking. I'm not only listening, I'm actively listening. I'm actively listening. So what I am hearing from you, I'm sensing with my eyes, my ears, I'm reading body language, right? Something that can calm an owner down immediately in the emergency room. One of the very first things you could say, Hi, I'm Dr. Thompson. Thank you so much for bringing in Charlie, you know, your pet, because that was the best thing that you could have done. That is such an amazingly simple statement to make because it identifies that you've heard the name of the pet, which is really important to them. And it empowers them by knowing the, the pet owner that they did the right thing, that here they are, they did the right thing and you're here to help. And now let's take a minute to talk about what you're seeing. From there, I could say something like, you know, I know this is probably your first time seeing this, but I've seen this many times. This is what we need to do to give Charlie the best chance possible. Yeah. I want this to be a conversation, but I also need to work quickly and then just go from there. So this is so important because I give this talk on transparency and Sometimes vets are afraid to be transparent because they think people are going to misinterpret what they're saying. However, if you take your time and you breathe, so you have to remember to breathe as a veterinarian when somebody's in there and they are bigger than life because their pet is suffering. So they're bigger than life. So you have to breathe. And having those two or three statements that you're going to say, 
hi, my name is Dr. Thompson. I'm so glad you brought Charlie in. That's the best decision you've made because we are going to work together to see what is going on with Charlie. I've seen this many times, so we are going to see how we're going to move forward. Four sentences, decompress, take you, take you out of your amygdala because of course everybody's energy is up there and take the pet owners out of the fear factor that they're there because you've identified yourself, you identify that you listen to the name of the dog, uh, you are giving them um, appreciation and acknowledgement for coming in to see and you're, you're being transparent about this is what I've seen, this is what we're gonna do. Uh, it's, it's interesting, and I don't know how much you've seen this, but it's interesting that sometimes veterinarians are a little afraid to share so much information that the, the client will hang their hat on it. Well, we're going to save the dog or something like that. Yeah, there's no guarantee. You know, if there was a patient, a dog or cat that was just hit by a car, you don't know the damage until you do diagnostics, until you do testing, until you get your hands on the patient, right? You can never guarantee anything, but you can tell the owner you're doing the best that you can do. What more can somebody ask for? Yeah, that's all they want. They want you to be invested in doing the best for their animal. And I often have clients who come in who are upset with the way their pet was taken care of. And it usually is based on lack of communication, um, over-promising, uh, under-delivering because they couldn't deliver what they, they'd like to. And I always um, suggest to vets when they have hopefully been more hopeful than maybe they should have been, right? Um, and the pet doesn't, or something unexpected happens. You know, you go in for a spay and the pet has a bad reaction to anesthesia, right? So the surgery was a success, but the animal never woke up. Um, I had a horse who went in to have his eye removed and he never woke up from the anesthesia without seizing. So we chose to um, let him go and transition over the rainbow bridge. Uh, he wasn't sick. He was healthy as a healthy as a horse. Ha ha. Um, however, it really, it gave me pause because both the veterinarian and the vet tech said, you need to know that he's 30 years old and you need to know that we're gonna do the best we can. But there are complications that can occur with a 30 year old that have nothing to do with his eye that we don't know about right now. And we just want to let you know that we're gonna do everything in our power to make sure that the surgery is success and that he returns back to the barn with you. And that didn't happen. However, I felt aware. And I think that's what clients want. And I'm sure in your experience, it's been the same way. They wanna be aware of all the good, because we want all good outcomes. However, sometimes that doesn't happen. And when veterinarians get caught in that unfortunate outcome, they sometimes circle the wagons and don't call the client back when they call and you know have the front desk people do it, which is even worse, I think, because, well, obviously the vet's hiding from me, which may not be the case. He may be busy. However, you really need to make time to talk to your client. Um, and I, I teach in my conversations, and I'm sure you do too, that there's language you can use that will take accountability and responsibility, but not liability. So this isn't how any of us wanted this to turn out. Yeah. So first off, I'm sorry for your loss. That's, so it was terrible. That, that's a tragedy for everybody involved. I'm very sorry about that. You know, what I write in the book, The Art of Science Communication, one of the most important things you can do with your audience is be honest. 
If you don't know the answer, say it, but don't stop there. Say you're going to do everything in your power to, to get the answer. So do you need to transfer the patient to a specialist? Do they have more equipment that you simply don't have, right? Um, set the expectations. Sometimes I don't know the answer, but it's because in veterinary medicine, we don't know the answer. What's the cause of this disease? I don't know, but neither does any other veterinarian on the planet, right? Yep. And that's where we are at 2022. Maybe in 2032, I can answer this question differently, but at least right now in science, that's where we're at. And I love when I'm able to go to a vet who reaches out to colleagues because two, three, or four brains are so much better than one. Uh, and having a collaborative effort, especially if, like you said, I don't know what's going on with your dog. It does, it, it defies gravity what's happening with your dog or your cat right now. Um, but I'm going to do the research. Um, I'm going to talk to colleagues. I'm going to call or one of the groups and see if they've seen anything like this. So we can try to narrow it down. And that might or might not, you know, get us an answer. However, we are going to do everything in our power to make sure we um, find out what's wrong with Charlie and then help Charlie get better. Um, that's our mission here. And being that transparent and making the client, the pet owner, a team member is so key. And I think that a lot of veterinarians um, don't see that as a valid, a valid practice because clients can be very time consuming, uh, hands-on, uh, just a problem. And I go, I get it. I can be just as much of a problem as anyone else because I'm a pet owner. And when you're a pet owner as a vet, uh, you can be a problem because you know more than I do. So you can really be a problem. Uh, however, without that person, as you said, coming in, giving the information, you don't have a client. Yeah. And it's true that certainly you can look some things up online and kind of know, but you don't really know. And then you waste time having the veterinarian explain it to you. No, it's not that, it's this. So it can be quite cumbersome. Right. To go on Dr. Google and get so much nonsense, it is quite cumbersome. Um, so that is why when I am starting to investigate a certain disease, a certain condition in my patient, I give the client reading material because I don't want to leave them alone in the appointment room, just going online and finding nonsense. I give them material that I trust from veterinary schools, from other veterinary um, groups that I trust. And then that way, at least they understand why I need to do a diagnostic test after this test that I'm doing now shows positive or negative results. They understand that there's a stepwise process and it saves me time and it helps them with their understanding and their comfort level. I'm so glad you brought that up because often when I talk to uh, students or vets fresh out of school, they go, it drives me nuts. And it makes me feel as if they don't trust me because they come in with this inch long or inch thick uh, study on what they think is wrong with their pet. And I go, well, yeah, it's frustrating. Here they are. They're going down the rabbit hole and they're not a vet and they don't know what they're doing. However, here they are at home. Their dog always gets sick on a Saturday. They don't want to necessarily go to the vet on a Sunday because it's twice as expensive. It's the emergency vet, whatever. So they wait till Monday. So what do they do all day Sunday? They look up all the things they're observing about their dog. And so 
um, I always tell my my students, thank them. Because like you said, being appreciative of what it is that they've put in for time is it's kept them busy. So you give them articles. I think that's brilliant. I'm adding that. I'm sealing it and I'm adding it. Give them articles to read on what you want them to know about what it might be. Uh, however, if they have all these articles and it's, you know, some tropical disease from Africa that the dog could never have gotten, however, it's presenting like whatever the dog has, say, you know, I'm so grateful that you took the time to do this and I'm going to read all of these things, whether or not you do is whatever, take the packet and say, and let's see, um, what I see right now. And then I'll go back and read them and see if these apply. But let's start with what's going on with Fluffy now. Instead of getting, first of all, feeling as if they don't trust you or they're um, uh, not really sure you know what you're doing, you do know what you're doing and they know you know what they're doing. But here they are afraid for their pet. And what can they do? They go on Dr. Google and they can create this whole entire, and there might be an article in that packet that you go, wow, I didn't know about this. So you pull that article out to give to another client later when that presents itself. But you know, it's, it's about making the client feel like a member of the team. And it can be, don't get me wrong. It can be incredibly insulting to be told that I know everything and you don't, or have that feeling in the room. That is on both levels, on both yeah. sides of the conversation. That is incredibly insulting. That's not going to help anybody. So when if I see somebody come in with a packet, I'm like, it's great. You want to learn. I'm going to give you trustworthy information while I'm doing these tests. Here you go. Yeah. I hope you don't mind the homework. And people say, I want the homework. Yep, they do. They really do. And it's, it does hurt your feelings to think they think you're untrustworthy or that you think that they're untrustworthy. So that mutuality of thank you so much. And let's see what we have right here in front of us, because that's what you're really looking at. So it's not, you know, dissuading someone of the value of whatever information they've done. It's that great. Now let's see what we have in front of us. Um, I so appreciate the time you put in. It simply makes the client, as you said at the beginning, you know, their name, Charlie, you're, you've seen this before. So there's that validation that I've seen something like this before. So I think we're on the right path. It just gives them that ability to get out of their fear. It, it, tones that a little bit down. It gives them some time, giving them reading material also calms them down. They get back into their prefrontal cortex and then they can make sure they're doing something and saying things they intend to say instead of you're a quack. And that does take time, right? It takes time to learn how to do that, but it also takes time in the room. And sometimes you don't have time. So what do you do? Because I know in the book, you talk about that. What do you do if in fact you do answer, unfortunately, <laughs> and somebody gets mad at you, how do you suggest a veterinarian or a pet owner? Because both sides could recognize they spoke disrespectfully uh, to each other. How do you think um, and how do you suggest in the book to have a conversation um, that will make sure that that conversation goes forward in a more positive manner? It's a hard question because it happens a lot. Yeah, in any hospital, and I'm a relief veterinarian, so I, I do locum work. So I pop in when uh, office needs an extra veterinarian. And so in that particular sense, you know, just like when I work in the emergency department, people don't know me. I'm just walking in and saying, hi, I'm Dr. Thompson. And they could be 
very upset that they're not seeing their regular veterinarian, right? Because there was some type of miscommunication. They were not seeing the person they were expecting. Right. But what you were saying before is recognition. It's saying, you know, this is what we have today. Let's move forward because we both want the same thing. Let's help Charlie and move forward and make sure that we do this together and apologize and recognize if somebody's been rude. Um, It's an incredibly hard thing to do, just like (laughs) self-awareness. But self-awareness is is wonderful. And and I always say to my um, attendees, to my programs, and don't do it in a condescending way. And we all know that we can really apologize, take accountability um, and responsibility in a way that is not going to be heard or seen by our body language or the tone of our voice by the other party as what that means. It's not, it's not a set of words. And I know that was in the art of science communication. It's not the words you use, quite frankly, it's how you use them. Your mother told you that many years ago, right? You know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. So remember when you are taking responsibility or accountability, or you're listening to a client take Um, responsibility or accountability for a bad day. Make sure that's a heartfelt accountability and responsibility, not, okay, I got to apologize to Deborah because, you know, I wasn't necessarily nice to her. Really say, you know, this didn't turn out like any of us wanted. And I just want to recognize that. And I want to appreciate that this has been a hard experience for all of us. Yeah. Just say it objectively. There's no reason to get, you know, more emotions into a difficult conversation like that. And it's not a blame game either. It's not that I was better or you were better. Um, My mantra now, and I'm sure it's part of your uh, curriculum as well, is we want to get this right. We don't want to be right. We want to get this right. And so together, if we work together and we listen to each other, we're going to have a smoother path to getting it right than if we both stand in our position. Another thing that has helped me is just recognizing that we do the best we can with what we have. You're always doing your best. Always presume that everybody's doing their best in that moment because we are emotional beings. And so, especially when we have our pets, oh my God. And especially when you're the emergency vet or you're the relief vet who has this pet who you haven't seen maybe. And as you said, the amygdala starts getting kicked in when I came to see Dr. Smith and Dr. Thompson's there. Okay, so who is she and do I know her? And obviously you've got the language down, which I would love you know, for both of us to teach a course on, the language to use when you first walk in the room, because yeah. it is key. And I know that teams now uh, want to, and I'd love to get your input on this, teams now want to be as streamlined as possible. So the first person who sees you is the front desk person who takes your name. Then you're put in a room in one or two or three, I had three ones, uh, vet techs come in to take information, to take weight, to do everything. Um, and then the vet comes in, or sometimes, especially during COVID, the vet never came in because there was the risk that the vet would have... Um, would you know contract COVID? So, what are your thoughts about that? Because I know, as in my office, clients like to meet the veterinarian. They like to have the veterinarian, and they aren't quite comfortable as we are maybe in the medical world with the team concept as they are in you know the vet office. So, what are your thoughts on how a veterinarian can not only communicate that the team is is part of him or her, uh, but that the team enables everyone to get 
seen quicker, um, less expensive, say, and really streamlines everything so everyone is cared for in the same manner. Yeah, um, I think what's uh, a gap amongst many, many, many hospitals where I have worked as a relief veterinarian, so I have a a window to this, right? A window into this, exactly. Is that we as a veterinary team really need to educate the pet owners with how much a veterinary technician can do. They are so good. They're the ones that catch something that's happening in a cage and the doctor's across, you know, on the phone with another client. They're the ones who are um, changing the IV catheter wrapping. You know, they're the ones who are monitoring the anesthesia. They're the ones who do it better. They're the ones who are most practiced in putting in yep. IV catheters, for instance, you know? Yep. We need to play up the importance of what a veterinary technician, a veterinary assistant, wherever you are in this country, we're called different things. Some places are called veterinary nurses as well, licensed or, or, or whatnot, registered. But we need to make sure that people understand what each team member brings to the team. They're on the team for a reason. That's why that team concept, we've come totally full circle. That's why that team concept is so important to explain to the client, be transparent about. And as you said, label the value of these people and, and really label it in a way that is redundant um, because you want to know that the front desk people are going to greet you and let us know how that went. The vet techs are going to uh, take care of your pet initially and take all that initial information. And this is why they do that. And this is what they're trained to do. And that's why we hire them. Uh, because sometimes I know this is something that probably happens um, maybe in some of the relief uh, programs that you've or practices that you've been with, that they're not necessarily respected by clients because the clients don't know, as you said, how important they are. So that creates some discord as well. And you really want to make sure as a veterinarian that it is about the team and that includes the vet tech, the front desk, the veterinarian and the client. And that team is really huge. Um, so, uh, Deborah, I'm so glad you've been here. This has been such an incredible conversation, as I knew it would be, because talking about communication involving animals, especially in the veterinary world, is something that isn't necessarily as thoroughly covered in vet school as maybe it should be. Maybe that's because in the 60s and 70s and 80s, pets weren't what they are now in people's lives. So the art of communication might not have had to been so perfect. So that's why we're so glad um, that Dr. Deborah Thompson has written this book, uh, The Art of Communication, uh, The Art of Science Communication, because talking to clients about what's going on with their pets is an art um, so that you set them up for an appropriate response, no matter what the outcome is. So I'm so grateful you've been here. Um, the three things I'm gonna take away, uh, and please add to them if you think, is that listening is key as a veterinarian and as a client. Appreciating everyone's role in your pet's care is huge. Uh, make sure you breathe. So that will help that prefrontal cortex to go back in its place and have your, uh, your amygdala go back in its place and have your prefrontal cortex come forward. Um, and then recognize the client, the patient and the veterinarian as the people who are working together as a team with the rest of the team to make sure Charlie 
gets the best care. I don't know. I think that's pretty much the huge pieces we've given here. Much, much, much more information to come. I hope you'll come back, Deborah, because this, this of course is close to my heart, creating that communication between clients and veterinarians and veterinarians and clients and making them all feel how valuable this is. Thank you so much for the invitation. Certainly listening can save time. If you wanna summarize this in one sentence, listening can save time. Yes, and listening to this podcast can really save you time and future conflict. So I hope everyone will. This is Deborah Hamilton. I'm so glad you're on the Why Do Pets Matter podcast. Let me know how you're doing and all of Deborah's contact information and how you can get the book will be in the show notes. Until next time, kiss your pet for me. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcast. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.